What's up, guys? This is the 404, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So, ATL, let's talk. What is up, Atlanta? This is your boy Isaiah Smith back with another episode of the 404 Forum here to recap game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. What a game it was. We had all the excitement we'd hoped for a conference finals, got a lot of the, the performances we were hoping to see from a lot of different guys. So I'm excited to dive right in and really give you guys uh give you guys a breakdown and let you know what's happening or what you know I saw there and uh what to expect for game two as well as we get ready for that on Friday night. But first, be sure to check out the show follow us on facebook follow us on twitter um on twitter we're at the 404 forum that is at t-h-e the number four the number zero f-o-r-u-m also on facebook we're just the 404 forum that is t-h-e space four zero f-o-r-u-m also be sure to listen um we're going to be coming in between games the eastern conference finals with both uh both semifinals going to seven games in the east they won't actually get the travel days off to the third and play on the third day when they have to switch venues so we'll be coming to you every other day here for at least the next week and a half or so and hope to do it more once the NBA finals kick off um, in, in the end of the month and into July and, and see some good things there. But, not to get ahead of ourselves, I know a lot of people are already looking ahead and thinking about what what could happen and the possibilities that, that are endless there. But the Hawks, they down the Bucks, they still game one in Milwaukee. So just kind of some thoughts on the game and the performances we saw. You know what we're seeing from this Hawks team is just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's one of the most special performances probably ever by a team when most of their core is in their first ever play, playoff and postseason experience. Um, they're the first team to win. To win game one on the road in three series, three separate series within a postseason since the 98-99 Knicks. They're the fourth team in NBA history to do it all time. So, I mean, that's special in and of itself. Being able to go on the road in game one, not play your best in really two of those game ones, and still come away with victories. Find ways, you know, do what you need to do on the defensive end. Scrap, claw, get timely buckets from different guys. Um, so, you know, again, just like game one in New York, uh, this wasn't the Hawks' best performance. Um, offensive um, defensively, especially in the first half, um, you know, they really slept walk through that first half, um, especially the first quarter. And if not for Trey Young and his efforts in the second quarter, you know, Milwaukee really looked poised to um, to run away with this thing. You know, Trey had a 20 point first half. The three point shot wasn't really going for him in the first half, but he still really did a good job of exploiting the Bucks coverage on the screen and roll. Coming in, the Hawks, and I think Trey Young and everyone knew it was probably going to be drop coverage, meaning that the post player who um, – that post player who – is guarding the screener. He drops into the paint to try to take away the roller and kind of guard two and one right there. Um, so there's multiple ways to attack that. You can use a short roll um, where the big guy doesn't roll into the paint. He rolls around the free throw line area and you dump it to him there. He can knock that shot down. He can keep the ball moving. He can attack. He can do different things. You can pop it, look to shoot a three, which, you know, the Hawks were able to do at times with some of their guys, but also that guard with the ball in his hands has to still be aggressive. He's got to put pressure on that, that post player and on the, his primary defender who's trailing, trying to get back in the play so that post player can then get out of the paint and go do what he needs to do but 
for you know the important thing to do is for the ball handler to be aggressive he's got to turn the corner he's got to get his primary defender on his hip which Trey Young can do without a ball screen a lot of the times um but then you put that big in a two-on-one situation that a lot of times he's not comfortable defending a lot of times he won't have any help then you won't be able to help the helper because of where shooters are spaced or the way that the court the court is laid out and things like that but you know the whole point of basketball you know no matter the system is to create mismatches like this to create two-on-one opportunities where two of your guys are attacking one of their guys and you, you really have them in a bind. They either have to foul or they give a bucket of a bucket or whatever. Um, but with Trey Young attacking the way he did it, forced Milwaukee to go small late. Um, with Giannis at the five, Atlanta had and then Atlanta had a major, major, major offensive rebounding edge, especially in the second half. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you know, speaking about the game, the Hawks really turned it on at the half with Trey at the forefront of the action. You know, he added 28, I think 28 more in the second half. Um, but other, you know, other guys got involved and that's what it's going to take to win this series. You know, I talked about before on this show how, you know, guys have developed and grown up in this postseason, and, and, and they were the ones who, you know, who got it going to secure the win. And that's one of the things as a Hawks fan, I think you can take the most solace in. I think you can be very proud of is that even if you don't win this series um, or a championship or whatever this season, your young guys are growing up before your eyes because, you know, in the Nick series, we saw Bogdanovich do a lot. We saw Gallinari kind of come on late. Um, Capella was a big factor in that one as well. Um, and, and, you know, we knew what Trey Young was going to do. But in the semifinal series with the Sixers, you kind of saw Kevin Herter take on a more pronounced role with, um, you know, DeAndre Hunter being out with, uh, you know, Bogey being banged up a little bit, you know. So you saw Kevin Herter take on a more pronounced role. You saw John Collins put his stamp and his fingerprints all over a game uh, multiple times in the Philly series. You know, Capella, again, being an, an enforcer and an influencer the way he was on um, on the glass and affecting shots. So, you know, with these young guys really doing what they're doing, particularly Collins and Herter, I think you've got to be very, very confident about the big three that you're building in Atlanta. Not now, maybe. Maybe these guys aren't your big three right now. But in the future, you know, you know, when Bogey is gone, when there's no more Gallinari, no matter what role, you know, you see Herter as a bench piece or a starter or whatever, no matter where you see him, he's really, really, really doing a good job. You know, Herter, I believe, had Middleton for a lot of the night and held him to whatever it was, you know, um, four of 22 shooting, I believe is what it was. Six of 23 shooting from the field. O of nine from three. So that, that's, that's a good effort. That's very, very good for a guy that the Bucks need to be up around 20, 25 points a game as Donnie Sherell, you know, Donnie said on the last episode, you know, they need Middleton to score. A lot of times they put the ball in his hands and let him and just tell him to go because, you know, Drew Holiday expends so much energy on the defensive end guarding the other team's best player. But in game one, Bogey was essentially non-existent. I believe only had six points um, or four points. He's Excuse me, he was a plus eight, but only had four points and really didn't do a lot offensively, missed a lot of shots and didn't shoot a high percentage. But, you know, you know, Gallo was not used as extensively in this one due to the matchups or whatever. He was still effective in his minutes, but, you know, you didn't see a ton of Gallinari with the big lineup. And we'll talk about the big the big lineup with a with a little bit of a twist a little bit later. But, um, you know, Trey Young, John Collins, Kevin Herter really did their things to secure this win. And it's, it's great to see. They're finding their strides. They're leading the team. And then being the players in big-time games, we hope they'd be. You know, Kevin Herter channeled uh, Kevon a little bit, I think, last night, um, as the Hawks players like to call him. But, um, 
you know, as it seems though at times as Herder goes, as you know, he channels into his Kavan alter ego, that's as that's how the Hawks go. You know, when Herder is plus eight or better, the Hawks are 23 and one this season. So when Herder, you know, gets out there and has a positive plus minus and really, really, really impacts and affects the game, the Hawks hardly ever lose. You know, you know, in game one, he was plus 15 that'll do it every single time just about you know when you have a guy like you know your plus minus all your starters are in the plus um that'll do it you know that that'll really really win you a lot of games Trey Young plus 12 or plus 10 excuse me um and John Collins plus 12 as well that's a recipe for success um and, and really talking about Collins and Kevin Herter those were the guys last night Herter only had 13 points two rebounds and an assist but his defense against Middleton was what you needed I mean you needed a guy to really get in there use his length use his size not let Middleton, you know, get it going and start making jump jumpers and give a lot of catch and shoot looks and let him get a rhythm and things like that. So I think that'll be the key tonight um, in game two is to not let him get going, keep making it tough, keep making him labor and work to score. Um, and then John Collins also with the 23 points, 15 rebounds, five of those rebounds coming on the offensive end. And he also had a big game change in dunk where you, you, you've seen it. I'm sure Trey Young turns a corner off screen roll, but Rook Lopez is standing in the middle of the paint, like a big oaf and they go off the glass to John Collins and he just puts it down. Um, if you saw Kent Bazemore tweet that, you know, that they, they practice that in practice and, and I had a feeling they did, but Kent Bazemore said, you know, they've been practicing practicing that in practice for a long time for a minute and they busted out in the Eastern Conference Finals. So what a time to see that. You saw Trey Young actually try to do it in the Philly series and the pass was just bad or Collins made a different read or whatever the case was. He ended up throwing it off the glass to no one. But it's something that Trey Young and Collins are not afraid to do clearly. And I think that's that's good. That that's awesome to know that they are so skilled and confident in their abilities that they can that they're not looking to do this every possession very clearly, but they're not afraid to make the fancy play use the razzle dazzle and, and have fun and that's what makes it so good they put so much time in doing it the right way doing the simple things making the right reads you know practicing the the simple way to do it that now they can in turn almost break the rule because they know the rule so well um it's an old journalism thing you can't break the rules until you know them well they know the rules and now they're they're really getting up there and they're playing above the rim and, and having a lot of fun with breaking the rules if you will but Collins had two big momentum shifting plays in this in this game, if you ask me. Um, Hawks go down seven, have a couple possessions where they don't get rebounds. Milwaukee gets to the free throw line. I think maybe hits a Pat Connaughton, maybe hits a three. Um, whatever the case is. But they go down seven. Um, Collins hits a layup, you know, contested layup. And Trey Young gets an and one off the dribble, cuts the Bucks lead back to two. Um, you know, and then the Bucks come down, make a shot, and they get a Giannis dunk out of a timeout or whatever it was. And then, you know, John Collins hits a corner three to cut it back to one. I really feel like that's when the momentum shifts and when you could say, okay, the Hawks are they can win this game still, you know, because when they went down seven, I thought, okay, one shot and this thing were cooked right here. You know, they hit a three, a kick out three, or Middleton finds his range, you know, just once in transition or whatever the case, or Giannis throws one in from downtown. You know, that could be that could be the dagger, you know, with a couple minutes left up 10, um, you know, having to play the foul game potentially, that could be the that could be it. But I love that sequence and and the Hawks just fighting and scrapping on the defensive end and getting the stop they needed and coming down. And then John John Collins shooting the ball with confidence and conviction. I, you know, he's hit several big shots from that corner. I believe he did it in the Knicks series and in the Philly series. He did it at games where he buried that corner three to either keep the Hawks in the game or give them a lead or whatever the case is. Um, and, and I love him taking that shot. It's such a good shot for him off Trey Young penetration or bogey or herder or whatever when they collapse the defense. But 
And that sequence in general, I just love it because after he hit the shot, he turned to the Bucks bench and he he was mouthy. He was letting them know and not, I don't think a cocky way, but in a way he was, you know, obviously he's fired up. It's the Eastern Conference Finals. It's his first Eastern Conference Finals game. Um, and he's just a guy in his groove. Things are rolling and flowing. He's having fun with the game and he's not afraid to let the other team know, hey, I'm kicking your butt right now. And so I love that. I love the swagger. Um, and then if you saw him in the post game, he, he talked to Ernie Johnson and Shaq like he'd known him for a hundred years, it seemed like. And the, the personality of John Collins. Um, if you remember on the show back in, I believe it was earlier this year, back maybe January, February before the Hawks made their run, um, Deshaun Tate was on the show and he said, you know, John Collins is kind of a different personality in the locker room. He's not quite a jokester, but definitely likes to have fun. Um, you know, and it's kind of the looseness of, of that locker room. And you can, you can really see it. You can see it in the post-game interview. You can see it in the way he plays. And that's, you know, if he can channel performances like last night, 23 points, 15 rebounds, you know, if he's around 18, 20 points and 11, 12 rebounds, um, he's going to get a blank check this offseason from from someone. He's going to get a blank check, and I, I think the Hawks would be foolish not to, in turn, return uh, with a blank check and, and keep him on their payroll for the next four or five seasons. But, um, you know, if he can keep turning these performances in, especially as the games get get bigger and the magnitude um, and the stage gets a little bit – gets greater, um, I really think he's the type of player um, – that that's the type of player he should be um, is up around 18, 20 points up around 10, 12 rebounds a night. Um, able to be a good shooter, knock down the outside shot when you leave him. But that's not what he wants to do. He wants to be bouncy. He wants to catch lobs. He wants to play in the screen and roll. If you switch on him with a small guy, he's going to punish you with his back to the basket. He does have a post game, got a nice baby hook. He needs a turnaround jumper. Um, and so he really is a, has a complete game and is really a modern four-man outside of the ability to initiate the offense. And who knows, we may see him do that some as this series progresses. But, you know, you think about the modern four, you really think about, you know, guys like Draymond Green. You think about, you know, guys like like, you know, LeBron James, if you maybe consider him a small four or whatever, um, Michael Porter Jr., you think about those types of, of guys, you know, Kevin Durant type or whatever, um, you really think about guys who can shoot it, who can play with their back to the basket, who can really do it all, almost a, a secondary wing or another wing. And, and John Collins, when you put DeAndre Hunter beside him, that's just another weapon and another guy to help space the floor for Collins um, and, and be a weapon. And Cam Reddish as well, if he can attack in the screen and roll when he gets back. So that's, that's, all, that's all just – awesome stuff and it makes you as a Hawks fan it should have you smile on this Friday morning and feeling pretty good going into game two but also seeing the way they handled PJ Tucker um you know I talked about PJ Tucker um in in the previous show and thought he was going to have a much more profound impact on the game and maybe he will as the series progresses I don't know um and I thought he could have been a big difference maker in this series with this with just his ability to switch and the ability to guard and things he can do and make make corner threes and stuff um but I really, but looking at the, the series and the game, and there's really no one for PJ Tucker to guard. And maybe it's no one that's going to have the ball in their hands enough for us to really notice the impact he has on the game. Maybe that's what it is. And, you know, you're just not putting him in the limelight as much and putting the spotlight on his defense on ball. But, it really does feel like there's no one for him to guard. He switched on to Gallinari. Gallinari uses his size and, and ability and shoots right over the top. Um, he guards Collins. Well, Collins is almost too mobile. Collins, you know, attacked him a couple times, got to the free throw line, um, finished layups, the different things like that, because P.J. Tucker's only about 6'6", six, six, and John Collins is a true 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, so you're, he's given up four or five inches there, and – you know, usually in the NBA, that's an, and PJ Tucker's not the, the greatest athlete at 6'6. You know, he's more stocky, strong, gonna play to his strength there and try to keep you on the ground. So that's it. And Collins wants to play in the air. So, you know, you, you're seeing 
the Hawks take advantage, even with Gallinari, who's a slower player, um, still using his size at 6'10", 6'11". So because there's really no one for him to guard, I mean, he does okay with Collins, but no one that's so oriented with the dribble and creating their own shots, you know, and he can't use his shorter, stocky frame to bully guys. Think about Trey Young. Um, he switched out on to Trey Young. People thought, oh, you know, you heard Reggie Miller, I think, say, oh, PJ Tucker's got him right here. And Trey Young proceeded to go around PJ Tucker as he did many other Bucks in, in game one. So I really, really do think, you know, PJ, you know, just to speak about that just a little bit, PJ Tucker's impact on this series, he's going to have to find a way because he's a starter. He's a guy you need production from. You need more than, you know, 35 minutes and four points from PJ Tucker and seven rebounds, you know, and two assists. You need more. Um, if you're the Bucks, but I really don't know how that is because the ball's got to be in Giannis's hands. It's got to be in Middleton's hands. Drew Holiday is going to need his touches after the game he he had. And Brooke Lopez, you want to get him more involved, I think, if you're you're Mike Budenholzer. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that works, how that plays out, and if he can take that bull. If the Bulldog mentality that he brings to the game, if it's just a an intangible that drives them, or if he's actually going to be able to put his stamp on it and us, and us to see his, the effect, the I physically see the effect he has on the game. But we cannot cannot quit talking about game one without talking about the Hawk star superstar, excuse me, in Trey Young. Um, you know, Trey's performance, you know, is he earning the superstar tag? We can debate those semantics all we want and talk about what makes us what's the difference in a star and a superstar in the league. I don't know. I don't care. Um, Trey Young is in the upper echelon of players. I do know that. And when you talk about the best players, you know, under 25 or the best players, you know, at the, at the point guard position, or even, you know, guys who are rising stars in the league, it Trey Young's gotta be one of them. It, if, if if he's not, you're you're being tone deaf to the entire this entire playoffs, if you will, the entire Eastern Conference playoffs, if you will. Um, his performance is he stole the show essentially. And if you want to say, oh, we're prisoners of the moment, Lou, you know, I'm not here for the Trey Trey and Luca debate. I think both teams got what they wanted and needed in those players. That's a pretty even trade. I'll still say that to this day. But you know, for Trey, I mean. You know, looking at his game, not to get off topic here, you know, it's so big because, like I said, he forced Milwaukee to go small, and then the Hawks dominated the glass in the second half. Um, I believe, you know, Capella had the big offensive rebound to put the Hawks up one there late after Trey kind of missed the floater after they didn't change their coverage, even though he had abused them with a teardrop floater in the paint all night long, and they were clinging to life, clinging to a one-point lead. And then Collins also had five big offensive rebounds. Capella had four. Um, The Hawks starters had 10, I believe, they as a team had 12 and you you know Milwaukee's not happy about that anytime you're giving up double digits or really more than five or six offensive rebounds um it's huge and the Hawks really cap look to capitalize on those possessions and extra possessions and those were big they, you needed them and you know Trey's 48 point 11 assists seven rebound performance it put him into an exclusive elite category the only players with 48 or more in a conference finals um, are Jordan Iverson Kobe Dirk Harden and LeBron so it's pretty good company but you know I think to me it's pretty unquestionable that Trey Young's added the superstar tag um, just regular old stars don't have 20 in the first half and keep their teams in games you know regular old stars don't affect the game and and, and that they either scored or assisted on 80 of a team's 116 points um, and have the usage rate that Trey had. And I don't think it's a to show the usage rate is one of those things. I I don't look at usage rate as a thing. Oh, they're using one guy too much because if you're, if it's your best player, why would you not give him the ball? Why would your best player not have the highest usage rate on your team? But it just shows the the impact and the way that he's, he's putting his fingerprints and his stamp all over the game and controlling the game and manipulating it to be, his pace and doing the things he wants to do. Um, and I think if you're Milwaukee, you've got to find a way to stop that. And if you're Atlanta, you want to find ways 
to keep allow him to keep doing that because he is your best player. Um, but regular stars don't lose defenders as good as Drew Holiday. They don't put him in the spin cycle and then shimmy before they knock down an uncontested triple. That just doesn't happen. And it's not the first time we've seen Trey Young go absolutely bonkers from behind the arc. And really, truthfully, it's probably not one of his better games from behind the arc. I think four for 13. So not a great percentage. And it's the knock on him, I think, going forward is going to be, you know, if Trey ever learns to be efficient, man, how good is he going to be? And I think that's something he's going to he's going to look at and work on and, and improve shot selection, improve, you know, picking his spots, improve knowing when to take a shot or when to, you know, dribble back out or find a teammate or, or look to be a facilitator. And that's the other thing thing too with Nate under Nate McMillan and we'll talk about Nate McMillan again later as well um Nate McMillan has done such a good job in showing him when to be a facilitator when to take the game over and and I think that's a progression that has come under McMillan from learning from McMillan a guy who played in the NBA and was scrappy and tough on those Seattle Supersonics teams and played with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton was their point guard and was kind of a leader on that team as well you you know McMillan was a dog he he was he was one of the he was that dude you know and so having a guy with a tough mentality a guy like a coach like Nate McMillan uh, maybe a little more old school than Lloyd Pierce was or whatever the case is to show Trey the ins and outs of the games and help him get the feet, get a better feel for it. A guy who played, you know, the same position as Trey and things like that. That's, that's huge. But again, you know, Trey is the heart and soul of this Hawks team. Um, he is their superstar. Um, so yes, I, it's time to add the superstar label to Trey Young's name. Nobody controls the game in all aspects the way he does. You can say Luca does, um, but you know Luca's a different case. You can argue John Morant or Booker, or whoever else. You know Booker's a guy who thrives off the ball. I don't know that you can you can put that's apples to oranges because you're comparing two different positions. John Morant's a great player. I, I like John Morant. Love his game. But as far as being refined and able to do all the things that Trey Young can do, John Morant still got some fine tuning to do. I think he's going to get to a very 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 high level but as 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 far as right now they're not they're not at the same level they're they're talking they're on two different their games are not they're not as similar as some people would like them to be um same for trey and luca their games are not as similar as some people would like them to be um you know luca's more lebron as to where trey's more steph curry so it's it's semantics we can argue it all we want but yes trey young needs the superstar label added right now some of the national media is beginning to see it we saw some of the, the national shows talk about it on uh on monday after game one and really 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 get in their bags about it but yes um or yeah but yes um it's time to add the superstar label to Trey Young. And I think part of the reason that you have that is because of Nate McMillan and his chess moves, his ability to, you know, speaking of Nate McMillan, the ability to rally the team after they didn't play well through the first half, you know, it was masterful to get him to keep fighting, push the right buttons, know when to get that bench group off the floor at the beginning of the game. He let in, you know, to, to get the starters back because if they felt it slipping away, there was no momentum, no energy coming from the bench. So get your starters back out there who were hanging tough. Um, and then they made the run late in third and in the early fourth to go ahead. And they hung tough long enough to do that. And even when they were down, the team was still in it. It's not they got down 26, you know, but the defensive effort I thought was very good. It was, it was as good as you can ask and, and, and can, can hope for, you know, you didn't let Giannis shoot, you know, 18 of 21 from the field. He was 14 of 25, missed 11 shots, um, did have, you know, nine assists, 12 rebounds. So you want to try to minimize his effect on others and, and kind of get out to, to other players. But, you know, in a win, I think you'll take it. I think I think you'll take it. But the the defensive effort was very good, you know, um, against Middleton, especially Middleton's their guy who makes them go as he goes, they go. Um, 
and he did what he had to do against Giannis with, with Capella on him. I thought we'd see Capella on him a lot. I thought we'd see Collins guard him as well. Um, and it wasn't perfect, but it got they got the job done once they locked in and started playing hard. And I love the other thing I love about Nate McMillan is not fouling late. Um, I hate it goes all over me when coaches are up three and choose to foul. If they're going to make a contested jumper or get a tip out on an offensive rebound, at least they had to do something to beat you. You know, they weren't throwing, you know, a ton of guys every time Giannis touched the ball and grabbing him or whatever. Um, you know, but speaking of the late game, the late game execution and going on defense, McMillan trusted that he had, he had talked these situations up enough in practice, I think to where they knew that, okay, in a situation where we need one stop, we can get one stop in the fourth quarter of a game. I don't care who we're playing. And, you know, being a middle school basketball coach, you know, it's harder to, you know, from where my background in coaching, but it's harder to say, Oh yeah, we're going to foul right here. Because middle school kids do it and they have a mind of their own. Um, and it doesn't always play out like you think and like it should, But nonetheless, you know, you've got to trust your team enough with inside of, I'd say, 25, 20, 25 seconds left to get one stop. And teams who don't know we're playing the percentages with, I don't care what we're doing. If you don't trust your guys to get one stop, you need to reevaluate what you're doing as a coach. I'm all for playing the percentages and seeing the numbers and the hack of Simmons, if you can do it, or if Giannis isn't making free throws, send him to the free throw line before you give him an uncontested dunk and those kind of things. I'm all for it. But late in games, trust yourself, trust your ability, trust what you've instilled in your team, your principles, the the grit, the grind, the effort, whatever it is that you rely on and what you preach. Trust that to come out in those moments. And Nate McMillan does that. And so that's the mark of a very, very, very good coach. Um, You know, I I give him so much credit. Um, And I think you would if you ask him, he would say the same thing. If they're going to beat us, you know, because Reggie Miller was suggesting fouling Giannis when he touched the ball up one, which would have given them two free throws to go in and potentially take the lead. If you, and I said, you know, I said it, and I think Nate McMillan would say this, if you're going to beat me, you know, you're going to have to do something. I'm not just going to let you beat me from an unguarded spot on the floor. Now you may run great action and get a wide open shot and get something that's unguarded, but you're going to work for it. You're going to have to run action. I'm not just going to put you on the free throw line. You know, I'm going to make, Holiday, Connaughton, Giannis, you know, a cold Middleton. I'm going to make those guys make a shot with pressure, with defense, because a free throw at home is essentially almost a practice shot, if you will, except for the Austin game six of the Philly series. It's a practice shot. So, you know, I, I love the, the idea there. I love that he didn't send, he didn't, you know, zone up against Giannis. They just played their help came. Yes. But, you know, you just can't let Giannis get going in the open floor. They did what they had to do. They fouled when it was a good time to foul and stop transition, put him on the free throw line, whatever, but just did a good job of playing smart with Giannis. He's going to get his, you can't stop them from playing through him. Kind of like Embiid um, with Philly. You can't stop him from playing through him, but you can definitely do what you can to try to minimize him getting other guys involved and minimize his effect on this game. And even though he had 34, the Hawks were able to withstand it because they did such a good job on middle. But, you know, hats off to McMillan again, uh, a great game, great series, the great series thus far up to this point. Um, and so I applaud his, his effort. And I think the Hawks are going to come out again on Friday night and give another spirited defensive effort. I think McMillan, they're not a great defensive team just as far as athleticism and ability. I, I'm not going to go out and say that. But what I will say is they play hard and they buy in and they do what they're supposed to do and what they're asked to do. And I think that's what gets them over and makes them a solid defensive unit, especially when it counts late in these ball games. So all that being said, um, that is all we've got to recap game one. 
Um, we're going to step away for a quick minute to take a quick break. When we return, I'm going to preview game two up in Milwaukee. Talk about a little bit, talk a little bit about how much pressure is on this Bucks team and also um, give some keys to victory for the Hawks. So stick around and we'll be right back. Don't you just hate it when the group text is jumping about last night's game, but you don't have anything to say because you didn't watch it? Well, if you listen to the 404 Forum, you will never feel that again because we're bringing you the latest each week in what's happening around Atlanta sports scene. So follow the show on Facebook and Twitter and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll never feel left out in the group text again. What's up, Atlanta? We are back. This is Isaiah Smith, the host of the 404 Forum, coming back after a quick break, talking game two preview of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, also, quick mention, you know, the Western Conference Finals, it is now 2-1. The Suns will not sweep that one. Maybe a gentleman's sweep, but they won't sweep it. You know, the Clippers got down 0-2 and looked around and, and started smiling in the locker room, I'm sure, after they got after the DeAndre Ayton dunk in game two and said, we got them right where we want them now, boys, and Tyron Lou's happy and now they're going to try to make a spirited effort. I think the Suns are too good to get to lose after being up 2-0, especially with Chris Paul returning um, and all the good things they have going for that team. But nonetheless, I, uh, I'm i excited to see how that series goes and plays out. You know, will the Clippers win two at home and make it a best three? I don't know. It'd be fun to see, um, to really test Phoenix. They got tested in round one, haven't really been tested, didn't get tested in round two, had a long layoff. Um, and so now it'd be nice to see a Western Conference Finals where they get tested because I think the Eastern Conference Finals is going to come down to the wire um, and go five, six, you know, six, seven games, I think is where we're, what we're looking at and where we're headed in the East. So it'd be nice not to give them a ton of rest coming into a NBA finals, especially if it's against um, the Atlanta Hawks. So all that being said, all that in mind, um, looking at game two, how much pressure is on Milwaukee here? And I, you know, I'm not sure they can afford to go down 2-0 with how bad they've been on the road all season you know some would say this gives a de facto death sentence if they go down 2-0 because the Hawks then would have two games at home uh, to potentially or would have three more games at home to close it out to win and have to win two of three of those to, to close the series out but you know I you know I do think it's big because the Bucks are bad on the road they're not very good you know on the road, the Bucks are three and three in these playoffs. In the regular season, they had a twenty and sixteen mark, but weren't particularly impressive when they were away from home and away from the uh, Pfizer Forum. Um, but in the playoffs, they're losing by an average of seventeen points a game on the road, and it's skewed by a thirty-nine point blowout by Brooklyn in Game Two. Um, and so, I guess that number is around seven or eight points in the playoffs. But still, nonetheless, they're not very good on the road. I think the Bucks have to. Not saying this is a must-win, but I would say it's a very, very important game for them to be able to win this series. I, you know, as I said, you can only go down 0-2 so many times and still and still expect to win the series or come back and win the series. Um, as I've said before, so. I think this is an important game. It's one you got to take. You can't take lightly. You can't come in and, and really feel like oh, whatever happens, happens. Even though they went down 0-2 against Brooklyn, who some people think is a better or better team than the Hawks, these Hawks are clicking on all cylinders. And if you let them grab a 2-0 lead, they may not be so easy to let it go. Um, as a young team, really hungry, fighting, and doing everything that they can to, to put the, to win, win this series. Also, the pressure's got to be on Mike Budenholzer on the sideline. I said before this series, I thought the Hawks had the X's and O's at Advantage. It showed in game one because Mike Budenholzer still didn't change his screen and roll coverage. Yes, Giannis is a more athletic, aggressive defender there than Lopez, but he still didn't go small until late. Um, 
Not that it was really much more effective just because of the way they played it and the coverage they used on the screen roll. Um, and they did many other things that didn't work very obviously. I know Middleton not making shots is part of it there. Um, but Budenholzer is not known for changing course. So it's interesting to see what he comes up with for game two. You know, they had the had struggles in the half court um, in the past couple seasons. And so that's resulted in them kind of playing faster. Also, you saw Budenholzer use a much larger, long, you know, longer rotation, a longer bench than he did in the, in the Brooklyn series, especially in game seven. And both teams did with it being game one and only having a few days off. Um, but all that, all things considered, you know, does Budenholzer tighten his rotation in game two to really go for it? Does he play Giannis 40 plus minutes to say, hey, you know, make it feel like this is kind of a must win game for us? Obviously, it's not an absolute must win, but does he get, you know, Giannis a lot more of those minutes in the first half? He did play 41 minutes on uh, on Wednesday night. So I, excuse me for that, that misspeak. But does he get Giannis up around 45, 46 minutes? Is that what they've got to do to win? And if so, Again, I don't know that I like their chances having to use their their guys that with those type of minutes. You know, Drew Holiday had 42 minutes. Um, I think that's right around where you would think want him to be in the playoffs. You know, Giannis at 41, Milton at 41. Um, and so with all, all that in mind, you know, what else do these guys need to do? Where how many more minutes they need to go? But one question that that I I did pose that I would like to cover, you know, for the Hawks going into Game Two with the one zero series lead, you know, you haven't gotten a lot from Bogey Bogdanovich. You don't get the third day of rest. Um, we don't know exactly what the significance of his knee injury is. You know, I think Kevin Herter made some comments in, in a press conference before the series that kind of made it feel and seem like it maybe was a little worse than it was than we think it is or than we know about. But we'll see. Um, but do the Hawks? Can Consider rest and bogey. I think you have to consider it. I don't know that they will do it. I think he still may see limited minutes on uh, on on um, on Friday night. He may get you know not get you know, the same type of run, you know, he only played 27 minutes of all the starters. That's the fewest. Um, but all, the, all things considered, I don't know that it's the worst idea. Um, knowing you've got a one Oh lead, you're playing with house money. You're going back home. Just got to win your home games at this point. Um, he was a bit of a liability. He still did a decent job defensively on, on whoever he was matched up with, whether it was Middleton at times or, you know, had maybe drew holiday um, for a couple stretches. He actually was the primary on uh, drew holiday a lot of times because Herder took Middleton and those two guys kind of, bounced around between the Bucks two main offensive guys. But I don't think Bogey's injury was the reason for Holiday being, uh, you know, having the game he had. Uh, I, I think Holiday just had a good game. He just played well because he was has been aggressive all season. He was aggressive in the Brooklyn series. Shots didn't fall. Well, now it's time for shots to fall. And you, you've got to take confidence in that as a player and believe your preparation and, and things like that. But um, I don't know that it's – I don't know that full on resting him by just saying, okay, we're not going to play bogey. He's out. Um, and we're going to just gear up, load up for game three at home. But I do think if you further mitigated his minutes, it wouldn't be the worst thing um, just to get him off the knee and hopefully try to get him a little bit closer to a hundred percent. You know, and it's always there, you know, you're either injured or you're hurt. If you're injured, you're not playing, you can't play. But if you're hurt, you know, if you go out there, I still expect production. I still expect you to play and play up to a level comparable to, to what you normally give. So maybe doing that helps him get back to there. I don't know, but it's something definitely to consider. I think if you're a Hawks, but 
looking into the game and the adjustments that Milwaukee is going to probably try to make and things Atlanta is going to have to be prepared for and just to on the fly potentially um, is definitely the small ball lineup. Giannis as the primary, maybe Giannis is the primary defender on Trey at times. Um, I think you may see that, but still, if they're going to switch everything, get into your screen and roll, get the matchup you want and then go at it. I, I don't see any, anything wrong with that. If they're going to play that way and switch everything and, and try to do that, then, then get your guy on, on their worst defender or a defender he feels like he can take and let him go at him. I think it's important for Trey to remember not to do too much in those scenarios. Um, look to take what they give, um, whether it's being a facilitator, a score, um, or anything in between. Just take what they give in the drop coverage and things like that. Use your floater. Don't force three-point shots and just do what you got to do to put it, put your stamp on this game and make it, and make it a, a favorable outcome for the Hawks. But I also look for for Milwaukee to try and get Trey on Drew Holiday or Middleton. Um, also look for them to try and isolate, you know, Capella and just let Giannis get downhill. Um, maybe put him in some screen and roll, put Capella in some screen and rolls and force some switches or use some dribble handoff action just to make Capella guard out high and try to do the same thing the Hawks talked about doing with Joel Embiid. Make him tired, make him guard on the perimeter and hopefully he gives out, he wears out or commits dumb fouls or things like that. Um, but I also would not be surprised to see the Bucks try to play through Middleton early, whether it be out of the post off or try to get him on the block or try to isolate him in space or isolate him in the short, you know, in that short post area or um, mid post, I guess what they call it, or the high post, wherever it is, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to get him going because he's got to answer the bell. I, I think it'd be smart to get their best player, the second best player, excuse me, involved early and maybe their most skilled offensive player. Um, you've got to get him going and get him involved. You know, Giannis is going to get his. You're going to play through him for the majority of the game, obviously. Uh, Drew Holiday, if he can just just be a timely shot maker like he was. That's all also going to be very beneficial. But I think if they can't get Middleton going, it could be a long series for them. It, it really, really could. And long series in the respect of um, it ends quickly and the outcomes are not favorable. But for Atlanta, what are the keys to victory? We've done this every every podcast, every, every every game that we've done. So let's talk about it. You know, what are the keys to victory? Number one, you got to survive their run. They won't be flat at home because they know it'll be very hard to bounce back and win two games in Atlanta. They know this Hawks team is motivated um, and, and they're ready to roll. And so going down 2-0 and then coming back home down 3-1, it just doesn't feel good um, if you're if you're Milwaukee, especially if you win that third game in Atlanta and it's, in, it's game four that you win. You know, that doesn't feel very good. Um, the crowd's going to be crazy, but still the crowd didn't give the same energy, the same vibe as being in the garden or being in Philly. You know, it was a big crowd. It was a raucous crowd. It was sold out. It was bumping in there. Don't get me wrong, but it still wasn't Philly. It didn't have the same aura, the level of awe, I guess, or the mystique or whatever it was of the garden of Philly, those types of things. Maybe it's because it's better lit. I don't know what it is. Um, But nonetheless, the crowd's going to be crazy. The Hawks got to withstand that run early, whether the storm, whether they're they're the changes in momentum, just keep plugging away, keep playing. And it'll definitely help if the Hawks can get hotter and make shots. I didn't put make shots on this list, but definitely make open shots. It always comes down to that. And it's a make or miss league. If you make your shots, the team misses their shots, the team that makes their shots is probably going to win. But I think uh, offensively for the Hawks, you know, pick on Pat. Uh, Pat Connaughton truly has no business as a defense, you know, on the defensive end in this game. Um, he, he's a bit of a liability. So he, he's definitely their weakest defender in the pick and roll. If they're going to stick with the same coverage, you you know, or just clear out the side and let Trey Young go by, that's always an option as well. It's a good option too. But if you put him in the pick and roll, let Trey Young get, get him on his hip. Um, 
And it helps because, you know, if he can't guard, they can't play him and that hurts their offense. They, they lose a floor spacer there and don't don't have his offense to count upon. So I think using, you know, letting Kevin Herter go at him one on one, letting Bogey potentially go at him one on one, letting, you know, if you get Gallinari on him a switch, let Gallinari post him. But, you know, Pat Connaughton's going to play um, whatever minutes he played. I, I think he played over 20 minutes, 29 minutes, almost 30 minutes in that game. Um Go at him, you know, see if he can guard, see if he want. I know he's a he's a bouncy guy. He likes to get up and dunk the ball. But can he guard? Don't let him be a help defender. Make him a primary defender and go at him, get to his chest and see if he can guard on the block. See if he can guard out high. See if he can keep guys in front of him. I think that'll be important. Um, You know, third thing, make sure it's just a Drew Holiday game and not a Drew Holiday series. Okay, Um, Drew Holiday is going to be aggressive and look to score. But you can't give him 33-10 and 33 points, 10 assists, and four rebounds. You've got to keep him closer to what he was in the net series as a defender, a ball handler, a primary offense initiator. Um, you know, you heard them say that Drew Holiday is about the only guy that Trey Young just can't flat out go by. Um, and he still and, and Trey still had success against him. Trey still made shots and got to two good spots on the floor and did what he wanted to do and was a facilitator. But you got to make Drew Holiday's effect on the offensive end slightly mitigated. Um, Holiday is a professional. He stepped up when his number was called, but you can't let him keep carving you up if you're Atlanta. He, he's got to be a secondary playmaker, and you can't let him just tear you up. Um, it helped that he hit five threes to push that number up, um, but you know it may not happen again, but you can't just let him put his hands all over the series. And we talk about guys putting their stamp on it all the time. I say that and use that phrase, but he can't be a guy that does it because he's too good. He, he's too good when he can just do what he wants to, get where he wants to at will. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's going to be important to neutralize his effect, I think, and not let him have the game he had. And then fourthly, keep making Giannis work. It's kind of like Embiid. You're not going to stop him from getting his. And like Trey and like Durant and Curry and all these guys, Booker and all these guys who are phenomenal in the playoffs. It's, it's like them. You're not going to stop Giannis from getting his. You're not going to stop him from, from having a few phenomenal plays and doing what he does. He's too good. He's a professional. He's too good of an athlete for that to happen. But you've got to slow him down. you got to try to make him shoot jumpers, and it sounds elementary, but almost bait him into shooting jumpers. And I said if I were guarding him, I would put my heels on the the lines that outline the paint so as not to get a three-second violation. Um, keep Be wide and big. See screens. Have your teammates talk about screens, and that would be how I would play him. If he wants to, you know, dribble, 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 take four or five dribbles back and then try to get ahead of steam coming downhill. I'm going to get my feet set. I'm going to be ready to move. I, you know, I'm going to talk to Capella about be ready to slide in, take charges, whoever the help defender is. When he goes to kick, make if you help and you're already in a position, make sure your feet are outside the, the restricted area. Look to draw offensive fouls. If you can get him in foul trouble and get him off the floor, that will not be a good scenario for Milwaukee. That won't be good at all. Kind of the same as with Simmons when that happened to them. But stop him you know you're not gonna stop him but you can definitely try to slow him down and make him work he's less effective in the fourth quarter if you make him work for every single bucket through the first three that means no straight line drives and big tower and dunks he's gonna get them don't get me wrong he's too good not to get a few but it can't be you know he can't have you know 16 of his first 20 points coming uncontested at the rim that just can't happen or coming in transition where there's, you know, really a small guy and there's no real way to stop him back there. Got to make sure you run back. You got to build the wall as you hear him talk about, you know, John Collins talked about it in the post game and really just, just make him work, make Giannis work and, and, and labor for his points. And he's going to get them. Don't get me wrong. But if you make him work, he's less effective late. And I think you'll see that the dividends of that pay off. So, 
those are my four keys to victory for the Hawks. Um, definitely going to be tuning in on Friday night. Hope you will tune in as well. Hope it is another um, Hawks victory. I think I think it's very possible. I think it's very possible for the Hawks to go up 2-0 in this series. But don't forget, if, if that's not the outcome, they've already done what they showed up in Milwaukee to do. The pressure of winning in Milwaukee is now off because they were able to still game one. You take, you take a game. You know, people always say it's not a series until the road team wins a game. Once you take that game, you can kind of rest in, in the fact and the solace of knowing that, okay, we have we have home court now. So the Hawks have home court. Now it's up to them to defend it. But they won't have to do that until um, until Sunday night. But also it would be much easier if they go into home court knowing that we have a two-game lead, two games to none lead, and we're playing with house money even more now, and we can just take one of these at home and still feel very, very good about our chances. Normally I would close out in six or potentially close out in seven. So all that in mind. Looking forward to to Friday night's game. Um, hope you, like I said, get to watch it. But that's all we have. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. Um, also check us out on Twitter as well at the number four, the number zero, F-O-R-U-M, the 40 Forum. Um, also be sure to listen to us wherever you get your podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Um, again, thank you guys for listening. I look forward to talking to you again after game two on Monday. Take care and go Hawks.